tell you how to destroy a snake. You take your head off. They send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of theirs to the morgue. Thomas, uh -oh. my son. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. We can't talk about it here on Nitro, but call the hotline tonight at 1-900-909-9900. Make that telephone call right now. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. You told them to say their prayers and to take their vitamins. You told them to believe in themselves. And you know something? It's a good thing you told them to believe in themselves because they sure as heck can't believe in you. Well, you know something, Gino? I wish I would have done this two years ago, brother, because the new World order is taking over professional wrestling. This was the symbol. This wasn't the Four Horsemen. This was the symbol of excellence. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro. Our week-by-week -week breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as ever... It's my co-host, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I am doing great. I am feeling very accomplished because we have reached our milestone. We have. We covered the uh, 51st episode of Nitro. We covered Raw Championship Friday. We covered ECW Hardcore TV. We are sitting down here this week to talk about uh, everything that we saw, what we liked, we didn't like, all the surprises and uh, ins and outs of the first year of WCW Monday Nitro. Now, you may notice, uh, before we go any further, I do want to mention, we may sound a little bit different this week, uh, as we were recording the most recent uh, re episode that we recorded, which is actually our Nitro review that you heard uh, three days ago. Uh, there was a slight buzzing that we were getting in our microphones, so I am actually using my backup microphone, the Blue Yeti, uh, Blue Yeti microphone. Uh, it's a very common, like, uh, USB uh, mid-level, I guess, USB mic. So if it sounds a little bit different, uh, apologies. This is not going to be a permanent solution. We're going to figure out something so we don't get that buzzing, but we can continue to use the uh, Sennheisers that I, I do prefer to use. Now, before we get into everything uh, this week in terms of our discussion, I do want to remind you that you can tweet us on the Twitters <laughs> at 20 Years of Nitro. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro, and you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. Now, this episode is going to be a lot different from our normal ones, as we don't have a 
specific episode that we're reviewing. I just took some general notes. I gave Dave some ideas of awards that we could talk about um, and different topics that I think we kind of want to intersperse rather than just read through like a bunch of, you know, awards and favorites and least favorites. So before we talk about anything, Dave, I was kind of curious, just give me a general check-in. We've we've had one year, 51 episodes of Nitro, a couple pay-per-views that we've watched, a couple Clash of the Champions. Right now, as a fan, as a, a viewer of WCW, what are your overall feelings on where the product stands today? WCW has really changed over the, like, the 12 months. Um, I mean, to start with, I mean, there was the whole idea of just having a show that would go up against WWF, the ambition of Eric Bischoff, uh, wanting to have a wrestling promotion that's like competitive with the WWF. And I don't know what, I don't know exactly what he thought the goal was or what he thought they could accomplish in the first year. But um, it seems like as time went on and they were more and more successful and they got more and more fans and more and more confidence I mean, there's like the little things where he's not like directly ripping on WWF or doing the or um, doing kind of like that. What I would refer to as like hot shot booking mm-hmm. um, in which they because I remember one of the very early Nitros had that Sting versus Hulk Hogan match that they kind of threw at the last week. Right. Uh, like at the last minute, that is. And they're kind of depending or having a lot more faith in their product now. And I think that's going to be better for WCW as things go on and they can just trust what they have rather than like worrying about what WWF has or worrying about doing these extra things or promotional things in order to um, get more viewers. But um, I mean, obviously the big thing in the fir- in this first year is the NWO. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to, especially, and that's, we're only scratching the surface right now because it's only been a few months. Uh, but already we've had a lot of like really iconic moments, like Scott Hall showing up on the fir- on that May twenty seventh Nitro. But the next year is going to be the really interesting year, is because we're going to likely have a full year worth of NWO versus WSW, and to see how that kind of evolves will be really interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, I would just generally say that um, the product has changed a lot. And I say for the most part, it's changed for the better, too. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think of where we were at when we started this podcast. Now, because of just the twists and turns of life, it's taken us a very long, you know, about, I don't know, whatever it is, three years to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So it almost makes it seem like not as crazy that things have changed so much from where they were 12 months ago in WCW. Yeah. When we started this... Uh, you know, within the first, whatever it was, 10 episodes of Nitro, we had the Yeti breaking out of that fake-ass block of ice mm-hmm. while uh, the Master, like, sat on his throne and bellowed at Sullivan. Right. Just that incredibly cheesy, goofy, old wrestling silly shit. Mm-hmm. And a month out, and, I mean, we've got the Glacier vignettes, which are kind of silly. Yeah. Um, and, but we we don't really have that character on our show every week quite yet. Uh, really, almost everything right now, every storyline I can think of, is grounded in reality. Now, that reality can be a little extreme as we t- 
talked about on our Nitro episode, right. Sting and Luger stole a cop car. Yes. And they're not going to face, like, legal ramifications for that. Right. So when we say reality-based, we don't mean grim, gritty verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of leeway there. But nobody has magic powers right now. Yeah. Um, the Dungeon of Doom are still around, but, like, they show up in jeans and t-shirts at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Meng doesn't even wear his uh, bear helmet anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and like, in comparison to WWF, I mean, we don't have, like, Doink the Clown or right. Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. T.L. Hopper. Right. Yeah. A lot of these wrestlers they have, and I feel like a lot of this roster has shown up since the first Nitro. Yes. A lot of them are are pretty, like, reality-based, like, like you said. I mean, they're they're real people that are wrestlers. Right. And, and I feel like there's a, a really great emphasis on... On wrestlers from all around the globe too, because they oh gotten, absolutely they've gotten a lot of uh, Japanese wrestlers, Mexican wrestlers, uh, a bunch of Brits, um, and I also think that you're seeing already a lot of influence from ECW. Yes, um, I think ECW is the big reason why a lot of the like WWF and WCW went uh, like realism or yeah like realism based, uh-huh. and also. The idea of having like the work rate guys in the middle of their show. Um, there's a lot of talent that WCW has now that is just like someone that they got from ECW, and they pretty much let them do their thing too. Right. They're not packaging them as like a new character or something like that. They're to me, it's like their way of saying for like the like the fans like us. People that are diehard wrestling fans that have been watching this whole time and no other promotions. It's like when Jericho shows up, I feel like there's this expectation that like the hardcore fans are gonna know who they are. Sure. And and they just kind of let them like let their ring like the ring work do the talking for them. Yeah, I think it's important to note that whereas WWF and WCW both certainly incorporated a lot from ECW. Uh, in the Monday Night Wars slash Attitude Era, uh, that WCW definitely started doing that a lot earlier. Yeah. Because we've seen it here, and WWF is nowhere to be found on that. Mm -hmm. Now, they're going to very quickly catch up. They're going to have ECW invade their program very soon. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have not really brought in a ton of ECW talent. Right. Whereas WCW has had Benoit, Mysterio, Juventud Guerrera... Sabu, uh, Public Enemy, Malenko. They've had Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero. They've had a ton of guys. Mm-hmm. And I know some of those guys were just passing through, but some of those guys like Sabu and Public Enemy, I mean, those are ECW mainstays. Yeah. Uh, so certainly Eric Bischoff, who it was probably not going to be the kind of guy who will admit it, uh, but certainly he is keeping an eye on ECW or having someone keep an eye on ECW for him. Mm-hmm. And they're grabbing the people that they think are worth it. Yeah. And they're incorporating a lot of the elements of that program into the way that they present their own wrestling. Um, and it's honestly, from what we saw from hardcore TV, I would prefer the WCW version of kind of melding the traditional wrestling presentation with the kind of um, attention deficit, like, that's not even the right word. Just sort of the ECW, the 90s grungy attitude, the the realistic storylines, etc. Between the two, from what I've seen so far, 
I would honestly prefer Nitro over watching. Like if if someone said right now we could switch to a hardcore TV podcast, I would absolutely stick with Nitro. It wouldn't even be a contest. Right. Yeah, and I I would. Th- it's probably not entirely fair to to say that like right now since we've only watched like the one episode. That's fair. Absolutely. Um, but to me. These like these flashing lights of uh, commercials. Right. It seemed like a long, like you know, ten second commercial for each wrestler to kind of get you into the product in general. It's like trying to present every aspect of their roster as quickly and as as in your face as possible. Whereas uh, uh, WCW just kind of it gives you the product and kind of lets the viewer decide what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. Put it this way. I'll put it like modern terms. WWE is a product that I could go see at the arena and have a good time, Mm -hmm. but I would almost, and I felt this way over the last few WWE shows that I've gone to, I'd I'd prefer to watch them from the comfort of my own home. Yeah. Going in person can sometimes be a laborious experience. Um, PWG, on the other hand, I can watch a Blu-ray and enjoy it, uh, but it's not going to be one-tenth as fun as going to the show. Right. I feel like ECW is the same thing. I feel like a lot of the ECW uh, magic is lost when you're watching it and you're not at the arena. Right. Uh, I think that really a lot of the the nostalgia for that promotion is from people in the Northeast who remember the magic of the feeling that you were a part of something when you were going to these shows. Yeah. And I totally get that. I'm not downplaying that or saying that that's not as important as like a good television product. It's just something that historically when you're looking back and all we have now are tapes, because I didn't have that original feeling of being in the building, Mm -hmm. I I understand where the value of ECW is, but it will never seem as cool to me as it could from someone who was there because they got to be, they got to be swept up in that moment. Yeah. So um, sort of by being a more television oriented uh, product WWE and WCW just look better in retrospect by comparison. Yeah, and I know that we talked about that at length in some of our earlier episodes, uh, our podcast episodes. The idea that WCW recognized that they were going to be a television product. Yes. Uh, for one example, they have a lot less house shows, but also, well, I was about to, <laughs> I was about to say that like they presented on TV very well but like there were some real growing pains at the very beginning as far as wrestlers like oh sure blocking oh yeah yes i was just thinking about like they presented it for tv but it's like no they had they had a hard time yeah they used to kind of huddle up around gene and we'd see like some guys backs and yeah they've come a long way with stuff like that it's been pretty impressive yeah so they're they had a lot of like i said growing pains and they and you could tell they're learning more about how to present their product on tv right if you went back to like october 95 when he had the whole hogan savage sting luger like arguments every single week and the way that they all kind of stood huddled in the in in the ring and people were not looking in the right direction right um and you look at it now when they are a lot like every wrestler is at least being shown like face the camera address the camera when you're doing a promo it's not about like talking directly to the fans it's talking to the viewer um there's it's just they're light years ahead of where they were at the beginning and in that way it's it'll be interesting to see especially since you know you and i have con have gone on on how much we love the uh the nwo promo packages Mm -hmm. 
and it'll be interesting to see over the next year if that's a, something they do more of, uh, more ways to present the wrestlers on TV directly like that instead of in the arena. Um, so there's like there is definitely evolution on on the way that they present the wrestlers on TV. That it'll be interesting to see what it looks like October ninety seven. All right, well that's probably a good time to give an award. Uh, I know we called them the Yawnies before. Uh, I don't really have a name for these awards. You had suggested a name based on the fans of my previous podcast, the Bookends podcast. Right. We call them Slippery Pickles. Uh-huh. Uh, you suggested the Slippery Pickles. That's uh, too much cross. What is this? A crossover episode? In the words of uh, BoJack Horseman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we'll. I don't know. I we'll just keep them unnamed. They'll just be the Nitro Awards, I suppose. Right. Uh, so what, let's see, I'm trying to think of which award to start with. Why don't we go with best and worst promo? Oh boy. Now, uh, I think, I think it'd be more fun to start off with the worst promo. Now, I think there'd be a lot of good choices for worst promo. Um, and I didn't for all of these write down like specific nominees or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there certainly were a lot of bad promos. A lot of guys who just generally gave bad promos, a lot of like, Sullivan rambling. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, Mongo has had his moments. Uh, Benoit certainly is some very like you don't even think of them because they're so bland. Yeah. But they are so continuously bland that he really belongs uh, being mentioned. If you're talking about the worst promos, yeah. And, and with Benoit, he definitely um, he likes to utilize a like a large vocabulary. Yeah. But sometimes that is like his own worst enemy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> because he'll he'll use words, but it's like that's not quite how you should use it. He's like he, he he'll be so close yet so far. Oh, and I should mention because uh, I would have liked to have maybe even nominated Bob Backlund for saying that he has a lot of abomination (laughs) for uh, the Iron Sheik. But we are only giving awards to Nitro specifically, Mm -hmm. and that means no Clash of the Champions or pay-per-views even. So nothing from any of our bonus episodes. Right. Uh, So my worst promo, I'm going to give, I believe it came two weeks ago. It might have been three. I'm giving it to Juventud Guerrera. He's one of the great superstars from south of the border and he has come to join fame and fortune here at world championship wrestling you know about the injury to psychosis now you're going to be facing conan and i know you're not real adept in english but let's try it uh, i don't uh, uh, no comprende espanol amigo but uh, you go right ahead you have uh, conan at a shot at that mexican title that's right that's right psychosis no está aquí because conan broken Tu brazo, pero yo estoy aquí para demostrarles que soy el mejor luchador de México y ahorita se los demostré y próximamente. Are you getting a little, uh, little... I am the best wrestler Mexican. All right, uh, obviously he has a very uh. Yes. But I want to tell you one more thing. What one more thing? In Mexico, all the people know the organization. New World Order. And all Mexico. And all Mexico is scared. Have a scare. But don't have to. You're going to have to give it a rest, pal. You can take this up with uh, somebody else. I'm, I'm sorry I have a tough time. Tony, let's take her back to you, pal. Oh. In his debut episode where he... Tried to give some English. Harsh. Mean, mean. He 
Look, he was put in a position to fail, mm-hmm. and he failed. <laughs> True. So I have sympathy for him, but he tried to do it in English. He switched to Spanish, which he should have stuck with. Then he tried to go back into English. Nothing made sense. Mm. Okerlund was a dickhead to him. Yeah. The whole thing was a disaster. Uh, so I don't mean as an insult to Hoovy, but the whole thing was just bad. It was yeah. awkward and tough to sit through, and that was my worst promo of the first year. But that's, So that's like a worst promo, which like the whole company earned that, right? Yes. Because they, I mean, they really should not have put him in that position. Yeah. I think from the very beginning, you could tell like he was not ready to do this. Yes. And, and Gene Oakland should have been the person that was there to kind of like help him along. Right. If things went bad. Which they did. Yeah. But he wasn't interested in that. Because, like, uh, you know, Okerlund, like, a lot of the 80s people are just more interested in going to business for themselves. Or, like, I could find a joke here for myself. Right. Something that helps me out. Um, and that I think that's also something where, since, like we said, they're going to be a lot more television-oriented. Right. And it's going to be more of a – they should realize it's more of a team effort. And hopefully over the years we'll see that people try to – help each other out rather than help themselves but i feel like you're being deliberately naive when you say that <laughs> all right dave what was your worst promo from this year oh, um this was an easy this is an easy one um and it goes way back this is from the fourth episode of wsw monday nitro i think i know who it is and this is uh lex luger outsmarting oh. lex luger in challenging randy savage to a match yes Fans, that was last week. This is this week in Macho Man Randy Savage. You got a lot of answering to do. Word out of the street is that Lex Luger wants to talk to the Macho Man Randy Savage. He does. I'm here. Where's he? He's coming right down here, Randy Savage. And I don't mind telling you, after that slap on a kisser last week, Lex Luger is not a happy man. You know, Macho Man, I think I know what the problem is here. It's called a severe lack of respect really that's exactly right because you see macho man you've been thumbs down on lex luger from day one and i'm sick and tired of it because you see sometimes it takes more than going to war with each other to find out what you got sometimes you gotta go to war against each other do you follow what i'm saying i'm following i've been there with sting there's mutual respect just recently i've been at it with hogan once again mutual respect and macho man Anyone who would dare slap the total package on national TV obviously lacks any common sense or concern for their health or well-being. Ooh, I'm shaking in my boots. So what I'm saying is, Macho Man, how about the real deal? How about a real match right here next week, live in Living Color, first time ever on Monday Nitro? I like it. How about you refer to my personal agenda, that title shot? I'll put that on the line. As a matter of fact, let's make this thing real interesting, Macho Man. Let's go ahead and I say right here in front of everyone that if I don't beat you next week on Monday Nitro, I'll leave the WCW. What about that, Macho Man Randy Savage? Really? Are you sure about oh, that? absolutely sure. Well, let me tell you something that's really strong. That's laying it all on the line. And that's the way the macho man likes it. In fact, I'm saying right now that you and me got a date with destiny next Monday night. 
Denver, Colorado, Mile High City. We got a deal. Thank you, thank you. Oh, I think you know how that one went too. This is uh could it be that you also I'm being real with it? Uh do you like the just the convoluted sentence that went nowhere that I remember we played in drops a few times? No. Oh, th- this is a different one. Which nope, w- that was the week before. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one where Lex Luger challenged Randy Savage to the match next week, and Randy Savage immediately accepted it. But then Luger said, "Let's make it more interesting." Oh, the- <laughs> and he put up his uh, WCW World Heavyweight Title shot. Yeah. And then also put up that if he lost, he would leave WCW forever. So it was a case of which Randy Savage had already accepted the match, and then Lex Luger just decided to add two more stipulations that were to his detriment only. That's amazing. And I'm sure, in, on like the way that they planned it out, it wasn't supposed to be him outsmarting himself. Oh, right. But not only did he do that, but the execution, like Savage was like, he seemed ready to leave after accepting it. Yeah. And like Lex Luger almost like kept him and be like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> you said that too easily. And like you mentioned the previous week with like uh, Lex Luger and his just tripping over himself. Yeah. Lex Luger had so many contenders for this one. Yeah. But to me, but for me, that one stood out because it was Lex Luger outsmarting Lex Luger. It's interesting to think because there was that period and it's still going on uh, where we are currently in our timeline where Lex Luger really got rehabilitated um, thanks to, like, his relationship with Sting, their great tag team, mm-hmm. the hilarious moments that he had, like, camping outside of the arena um, for yeah. his title match. Like, there's been so many great Luger moments that I've come to like him so much mm-hmm. that I f- forgot how much of a fuck-up he was when he first showed up. Um, but it actually, that that's a good transition, because that one thing that reminded me as I was kind of going through all these episodes to try to figure out where my awards were going to go, mm-hmm. uh, he almost ruined what I'm going to give my best promo award to. Oh, okay. So this is way back in episode two. Ric Flair cuts an amazing promo. So I think this is September 11th, 1995. Mm-hmm. And Flair cuts an amazing promo on Arn Anderson. Nature Boy, I gotta tell you something. Last night I was over in South Beach. You were styling, profiling, moving and grooving. The paparazzi, the beautiful women. And now at Fall Brawl, Arn Anderson. You know me, Gene? The only thing missing at South Beach last night was the fact that Double A, my running mate, my main man, and my best friend was not at my side. Conspicuous by his absence, I'm told today that Double A was back in his hotel room calling his wife and little boy. Instead of running wild with the nature ball, we used to be like Joe Montana, the pretty boy. He was Lawrence Taylor, the killer. We ruled the world. There was no path in life that Arn Anderson couldn't walk because he was at my side. This was the symbol. This wasn't the four horsemen. This was the symbol of excellence. This was the show. And Sunday, ah. Wait a minute. 
Lex Luger. The total package in town. And you know what? One thing Double A always said was, Nate, Hulk Hogan's driven you crazy. Well, Hogan, look what you've done now. Look who's here. The total package. Six five. Lex Luger. 275. 22 inch arms. 60 inch chest. The total package. Hogan, tonight, the package takes control. Right, package? You know, Rick, some things never change, do they? You are too much. Oh. And I'm gonna stay too much. And tonight, Hulk Hogan, you go down to Lex Luger. Thank you very much, Ric Flair. Still to come, Hogan and Luger collide here on Monday Nitro. Because they are right now pretending to feud as a way of luring Sting in to turn on him at a pay-per-view. I can't remember which one it was, if it was Fall Brawl or one of those. Um, so you remember that storyline where, when we kind of started Nitro. Oh, yeah, uh, you're talking about Sting? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Halloween Havoc 95. Okay. Yeah. So where when we started Nitro, Flair and, and Orn were feuding, although it ended up being a ruse. Uh, and sort of the reason that was given was Flair was mad that Arn was spending too much time with his family rather than running wild with the nature boy. <laughs> That's right. So episode two of Nitro was from Miami and Flair cuts this amazing promo to Mean Gene. He's wearing a suit. He's not quite like cocaine crazy Flair. He's just confident world champion Flair. And he gives this promo uh, where he says that he was the pretty boy Joe Montana. The enforcer was Lawrence Taylor. Mm-hmm. And together they ruled the world. Yeah. Uh, and now he's out in Miami on, you know, South Beach styling and profiling. Mm-hmm. And Arn Anderson is not at his side. He makes him sound like such a wuss for being home talking to his wife and son on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the promo is just amazing. What almost ruined it, almost got it knocked away from my my best promo of the first year position, mm-hmm. is that this is the one where Flair is in mid-promo and Lex Luger wanders out to the ring seemingly lost. Oh, yeah. Yes. And Flair cuts a little promo on behalf of Luger, mm-hmm. talking about all his chest measurements and his body fat, yeah. and saying that he's definitely going to beat Macho Man. Luger just says, Nature Boy, you're just too much, and then leaves. Yeah. And then Flair just kind of keeps talking as they go to commercial. So the ending is beyond stupid, but the beginning is so great. I love Flair's delivery. I'll drop in an audio clip here to remind everyone of what I'm talking about. That is, uh, it was going to be, for me, it was going to be a Flair promo. Mm-hmm. There was, um, the other one I thought about was the one where he popped out of the gurney. Oh, yeah. The night after Elizabeth joins them. And yeah. the implication is he just fucked woman and Liz all <laughs> night and died. But then right. he pops up and just does a little dance. Yeah. And in that one, he makes them walk down the aisle with him while Gene holds the microphone yeah. and walks behind him. That one's so great, but I feel like that's almost more of a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where I won my best promo. What was your uh, best promo of this first year? Well, I mean, there are a lot of people that had great promos, and, and there's plenty of guys that um, that you just, you remember are like, yeah, every week they're a great promo. Like yeah. Ric Flair, for example. Arn Anderson always gives great promos. Yeah. Um, Pretty much any time the horsemen are together, yep, they're giving great promos. Um, so I wanted to go with someone that that I felt like kind of stood out at that moment for having a significant promo. 
Um, so I went with, and I can't, I'm sure we'll, we can pull up the audio clip and put it in here at some point. Uh, but I'm going to go with that first promo that Sting gave the week before he was going to face Hulk Hogan. I thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. And by the way, during the course of this hour, on the horn, WCW's great Hulk Hogan asking about this man and actions last week where you actually walked out of the building with Lex Luger. Hogan has stated that next week, live on WCW Monday Nitro Sting, he wants you one-on-one. -on -one. What's going on? What's going on with you right now? Let me just start off by saying, Hogan, I got nothing against you, man. I don't know where you're coming from. I never dreamed in my wildest dream that you, Hulk Hogan, would ever come knock, knock, knocking at my door looking for me. Never dreamed it. But you know something? I don't want to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. I can let it slide when you call me a little dog waiting on the front porch. Yeah, a little dog. Let me just get one thing straight right now. Here at World Championship Wrestling, I'm a big dog, buddy. And if you want to check the list that have come and gotten in my face over the years, because like they say, this is where the big dogs play, my list is pretty long, Holster. And I ain't going to walk away. I'm going to do the same thing I've done all along. Hulk. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Sting, if I could interrupt, I have always contended if it looks like a rat, if it smells like a rat, and if it quacks like a rat, you can rest assured that it is a rat. And Hogan says something doesn't smell right here. I don't think there's any reason why the Hulkster and the Stinger can't get this squared away. If it has to be right here in the ring, then be. so be it. I'll see you next week. I'm the big dog, remember? The one where he talks about how he was waiting to see when Hulk Hogan was going to come knock, knock, knocking on his yeah, door. Yeah, that's right. And yes. I wanted to nominate that because, um, like, when we started this this whole show off, um, you had not watched much of WCW. Right. And you had said that, like, most of the time, you just you didn't get Sting. Yep. Um, and I think that's fair. I think there's a lot of things about him that are not as, impress as impressive in retrospect um, than, than at the time you would have realized. But I just remember that on that podcast, that particular episode after that promo, that you and I were both like, I get the appeal of Sting. Now. Right. Once you give him something to do, and once you, once you present him as kind of like being this like, leader pioneer figure of wcw it was just like he got his moment to shine and he nailed it yeah and he and really like for the full this full year he has not had a lot of opportunities as far as talking is concerned yeah i mean when he is there's always another person there it's usually talking about someone besides him yeah so this was like the one time where it was like sting gets to talk about sting an important match in Sting's career and not about Flair or Hogan or Savage or someone else. And I just, yeah, the one time that's one opportunity to shine. And I felt like he really did it. And, and to me, this, when you talk about WCW, it's Sting's the first person to come to mind. And so I, it's hard for me to not go with a Sting promo as far as a great promo. And it's just a great promo in general. Like to me, he does a really great job of hyping it up. Um, 
I think was was that right after he faced Dean Malenko? Around the same time. It's for around sure. the same time. So I felt like he had a match and then they asked him about it. Yeah. And to me it was a great way to hype up this match for the next week. Um, because it, like I said earlier, they were kind of doing the um, like kind of like the hot shot booking for the the following week. And I I thought that Sting on seemingly a moment's notice because they announced that match earlier in the show gave a great promo to get me really excited for that match. So I'm giving it the sink for that. Another one I'd like to mention, um, certainly not his best, but one that I thought of briefly when I was considering all the good promos and one that would have been a very surprising choice given how low my opinion of him in general is as a, as a performer in 1996, Hacksaw Jim Duggan had, a great promo the week after Hogan turned heel where he, <laughs> he dropped the hacksaw shtick uh-huh. and just spoke to like his friend, Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. the guy who knew his kids and all that. Uh, so that wasn't probably the best promo, but you're talking about guys that like, sure. Flair is always going to be great on the stick, right? But like hacksaw, you generally, you genuinely, did not see a promo like that coming, mm-hmm. and that kind of made it all the more impactful. Uh, so I did want to just mention that as kind of an honorable honorable mention promo of the year. Uh, Dave, this is not one that we've... I don't think I gave this on the list, but I feel like uh, it's going to be easy for you to think of a best and a worst, and I'll, I'll kind of start to give you some ideas. But okay. uh, this is going to be best angle, worst angle. Okay. So I'm going to give my best angle. I feel like that's obvious. I'm going to give that to the NWO. Sure. Uh, everything from the first few weeks of Hall showing up, Nash showing up, the Great American Bash where they threw uh, Bischoff through the table, uh, Bash the Beach where Hogan ended up being the third man after weeks of speculation, uh, and things up till now, like, occasionally they get a little repetitive, but overall... Interest is very high. The The fans in the building go nuts for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now I'm still anxious to see, like, who's next? Where are they going to go? Like we've said uh, on the episode just the other day about Nitro, uh, it's very important that WCW starts getting a few wins here. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, I think the NWO, it's the hottest angle in wrestling at this point in history. And it would be silly for me to, to look at anything else. But uh, I'm, I'm curious if you concur or if there's something bigger that maybe I'm I'm forgetting no i mean i i agree with i agree with that i mean obviously it's it's one of the biggest angles in wrestling history uh so it's hard to you know it would be hard to not say that so i mean given that then i i feel like i'll i'll just bring up a different one um just to make sure that you know yeah give credit where credit's due (laughs) so one another one that i liked was um the medusa dropping the women's title into the garbage sure um, obviously it did not work out for her since then. And, and <laughs> I know we discussed at length that it felt like Bischoff simply hired her to do that angle. Right. Um, but it was the sort of thing where it's like, there couldn't have been a more explosive or, or impactful way to introduce someone in, in, onto WCW's like, onto the WCW landscape. Right. Um, that's, it's, it's still, um, like I said, this, like Medusa really has not done much, but everyone remembers that, you know. So even in in that one time that that he got that one benefit, like we we always will remember, like yeah, Medusa was the one that 
drop the, the title into the garbage. So um, I would, I like I said, I want to note that, but for obvious reasons, the NWO is the, the biggest angle in the first year and probably the biggest angle for the next year yeah. and the year after that. <laughs> Another one I would like to mention that was overshadowed because it happened at the same time sort of as the NWO were forming. It, it was pre-Hogan joining the group, but still they were a big factor. So I feel like this would have been a bigger deal. Uh, but that would be the way that uh, the Four Horsemen joined as a full group and added Mongo. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know we were not including things from our bonus episodes, but the whole storyline of them kind of the Kevin Green Mongo thing and then the way it was executed at the pay-per-view mm-hmm. with uh, Deborah going off with woman and then coming back with that money case yeah. and Mongo just seeing that money and instantly right. turning on Kevin Green, uh, his tag team partner. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, so that was just a great storyline that I think bears bears some mentioning here when yeah. we're talking about good storylines from this year. Well, because I remember when we were talking about it, um, and you mentioned that from a delivery of like the payoff and everything like that, that you consider that tag team match to be a five star. Yes, absolutely. Match. Yep. And yeah, I I I would say, I mean, that to me would probably be the the second best payoff to Hogan. Sure. As the third member over this first year. And that's saying a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because Hogan, that's another one where it's like, well, that's obviously the biggest like payoff they had all year and in, in probably in the history of WCW. So, um, yeah, I remember, I was like, when we were talking about this, I was thinking in the back of my head, I was like, I know there was one thing where we talked about how everything came together perfectly in the end. And not only that, but like, like just for like, because WCW has had its issues as far as like having everything on camera in the right angle and everything like that. But I remember talking about how the camera angle, everything was set up perfectly. It told the whole story in one image because you could see Kevin Green in the back in background, like just laying there. Yeah. Like, like you could, you could visually see the choice he had to make and how quickly he made yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I remember it's like, the fact that he quickly that like just like that turned on Kevin Green mm-hmm. was perfect to me, and it really established that character, and and also, like the uh, the few weeks after when we're like he looked like such a badass too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So for worst storyline or angle, uh, I'm gonna go with the weeks of interminable bullshit we had with Lex Luger uh, the tweener. Yeah. Now, there were moments of it that were great, like when he would uh, smile and high-five the fans mm-hmm. when Sting was looking at him, yeah. but then looked like bored when Sting was looking away. Right. But the inconsistency with that story, where one week Lex was like unqualified a good guy, and then the next week he was unqualified a bad guy, they kept like turning him without turning him. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it became so stupid. And then in retrospect, like... At the end of the day, he just ended up being a good guy, a babyface, which made, like, a lot of his past actions make no sense. Like, all the thing where he was ducking out of the championship matches and then eventually ended up camping out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that ended up making it so, apparently, in retrospect, you had to believe that, like, he did just miss a plane and have car trouble and, like, a flat tire and just thing after thing. And you're like, right. okay, well, I guess if it turns out that he's not a heel... He was just telling the truth about all those things. That's 
bizarre but okay uh, and it just went on so long and the reason why that really sews up the award is uh to remember that he was part of the dungeon of doom for all of like a week and a half including the uh whatever they call that triple tower doom cage match with the alliance to end hulkamania oh, yeah. versus randy savage and hulk hogan lex was in that match he botched the part at the end where he like hit flare uh, the whole thing was just a disaster. He's been so much better since he's just been allowed to be a babyface. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just really been a delight ever since. Uh, so that would be my worst storyline of the year. What about you? Uh, mine is... Uh, mine's pretty easy as well. It's going to be the ongoing, never-ceasing, uh, non-ending john tenta versus big bubba roger yeah. big bubba yes. feud yeah especially because um at bash at the beach it seemed like was it bash at the beach or was it great they faced each other so many times yeah. and i yeah bash at the beach was the one where it's like oh that's a definitive ending to this feud like he beat bubba he smacked him with the the carson city silver dollar match yeah yeah he even put like the silver dollars on his eyeballs like yeah. that should have been it Yep. And then either the next night or a week later, they were back at it again, like fighting yeah. um, at ringside. It was just this never-ending battle. And, and no one looked good out of it either because John Tenta, there was a whole thing about like how the mailman was laughing at his haircut. Oh, <laughs> that's right. And he, that, I, that he was choosing to maintain week to week. Right. Yeah. And the only reason why the feud ended is because I think they just... I don't even know what happened to John Tenta. Yeah. We never got... Like, he just stopped showing up. Yeah, when they mentioned that he... On our most recent Nitro, they mentioned he's going to be on Saturday night. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's still around in this company. Right. So, I mean, that one... I mean, for one thing, it's just... It's not a great matchup in the first place. And it seemed like every time they face each other, like... This is okay. This is John Tenta's definitive victory, right? Um, but no, it's just because that was never ending, and it was it's a never ending feud that we never wanted to begin in the first place. So, I give it to that. All right. Well, here's our next category. Uh, let's go with best and worst match. Uh, let's save the best for last and start with the worst. Uh, there were a lot of bad matches, of course, on Nitro. A yes. lot to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted something that was unique, something different. Uh, and I went, it was even hard to even remember this because I think it was a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to about halfway through to episode 24. And it is a squash match between Loch Ness and Scotty Riggs. Yikes. Now, this is a match where uh, I forget what happened at first. Uh, part of it was, I remember Riggs goes for a flying crossbody where Loch Ness is supposed to catch him. He's just unable to do so, so Riggs just bounces down to the mat. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Loch Ness goes to elbow him, but like Riggs' his knee is up or something, and Loch Ness just tells him to lay down flat and then goes <laughs> back and repeats the spot. Uh, it's just the whole thing was bowling shoe ugly. Loch Ness m- may have been a kind of a legend in his time and place, uh, but... God, his WCW run was terrible. I just felt bad for him the whole time. Yeah. There's a time and place for everything, and this was not the time and place for him. <laughs> so, yeah, my worst match. Episode 24, Loch Ness versus Scotty Riggs. How about you? 
my worst match we go back to episode six and october 9th 1995 it was for the united states championship and it was sting versus the shark oh from the very beginning it was it was terrible because the shark for some reason was getting a u.s title match yep which i don't know if he even won on nitro to that point um i think it was only a few minutes long and this was during that that weird like couple of weeks in which sting was always beating people with a cross body off the top yeah that's right like for some reason or another yeah yeah um i just remember that it was like it was just like a filler match wasn't very good i mean thankfully it was short yeah but this also was like kind of the beginning of the like these ridiculous like you know like how cobra got a world title match just if they're in the match with a champion it's automatically a championship match right which doesn't seem very fair to people that are wrestling week in and week out like eddie guerrero has a hard time getting any title matches right <laughs> so i'll give mine to sting versus the shark and the shark reminds me, if I wanted to give a worse finish award, uh, it would have been episode two, Randy Savage versus Scott Norton, yeah. where the shark falls on Scott Norton's legs, mm-hmm. he gets knocked out, mm-hmm. and the ref counts that pin. Yeah. That was, uh, that's just particularly awful moment. Yeah, see, I was, in a, I was gonna go with that, but I couldn't remember if, like, the, cause, like, Savage versus Norton could be pretty decent. I couldn't yeah. remember if that match up to that point was bad. Right. But I know Sting versus Shark was bad. Right. Through and through. Okay, so now best match. I've got a list, uh, and I'm just going to read through this list because if anyone's listening to this and, and wants some good Nitro episodes from the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to save my winner for last, but these are just some good matches that are worth checking out. You can go all the way back to episode one for... Fra- you go all the way back to episode one for Brian Pillman versus Jushin Liger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could go to episode 43 for Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis. You go to Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero from episode 36. Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero from episode 7. Dean Malenko versus Jushin Liger from episode 34. Or Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio from episode 43. However, my winner, it's a match that I think you and I kind of mention often when we're like, oh, what was what was a great match that we saw? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think you're going to be surprised when I say my favorite match was from episode 11, and it was Johnny B. Bad versus Eddie Guerrero that ended in a 10-minute time limit draw. Yeah. That was my favorite Nitro match. What about you? And that was mine as well. All right. Nice. I, you know, I tend to want to just say something different, but um, that one from the very beginning, and to, to be fair, I feel like since that was maybe, I mean, there was Pillman versus Liger, but they kind of had like a weird chemistry thing in which they they were a little bit off with each other. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, Guerrero and Johnny B. Bad was like the first like really good match. Mm-hmm. And I think that in other matches defense, they're they're being like compared to the first one. And since it was like already listed, like kind of on the top right away, yeah. it was hard to like knock it off. Um, but that, I mean, that one was great. Um it's an it's one of those like many examples in which Eddie Guerrero just tells compelling stories during the match. Right. It's one of those. It, it does. Like I'm I I'm pretty sure during that podcast I talked about how it had an actual like a, a, a story arc mm-hmm. uh, because it had like Eddie Guerrero getting frustrated because he couldn't beat him or like they started kind of a punching it out. Yeah, and... his temper starts kind of because I remember that they Larry can't help but say like his uh, or not Larry. Um... Mongo. Mongo starts talking about like his Latin temper, you right. know, which is 
but it's like and it's also one of those many matches that Guerrero has in which like he will get like an arm injury mm-hmm. and he he'll remember the arm injury which doesn't seem like a big thing but at this time with a lot of like the 80s and 90s like big wrestlers that mm-hmm. they tend to overlook like psychology like that um but i mean in general uh if i was going to say you know you could pick pretty much any Eddie Guerrero match yep from like the first few months um there's a lot of like off the top of my head i just keep thinking about um that match that he had against psychosis in july mm-hmm. when they were when they were outside um in particular because that was another one where psychosis when he landed on eddie grow at ringside and it seemed like he landed on eddie's arm oh and yeah Eddie sold that he landed on his arm yep and it, they did they told it was so they did such a good job of telling the story that i couldn't tell if they improvised or not um and to me like if we had like an award for biggest surprise i would say that how much i've enjoyed psychosis sure um i i found his matches to be really interesting um he's surprisingly a really good heel like he plays up to the crowd a lot yeah and just like he lives up to his name so (laughs) well too just he does some things where you're just like you worry about his well-being although it's like you know we know he's fine now right but um, by the way i thought we had a biggest surprise award so this is i'm gonna give mine since you gave yours a psychosis okay (laughs) my biggest surprise was lex luger uh some of the guys that i expected to be great were great Mm -hmm. um even sting whereas maybe like we talked about earlier i hadn't always seen the appeal i still knew plenty of people love sting so i can't call it a surprise to find out that sting is good you know what i mean um but lex luger I never knew, like, that he was as over as he was in WCW. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I never knew how funny the character could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether he realized at the why he was so funny or not. Like, I don't know that he always gets why he's funny. But mm-hmm. it just comes across great. Um, so I would say that definitely my biggest surprise going through this first year has been Lex Luger. So, I mean, talking about Lex Luger, do you, do you think that maybe a lot of uh instances in which he like he doesn't give good promos or he's not like compelling is because like he just needs a definitive direction to go in i think he needs a definitive direction and i think it'll be very interesting to me to see what the character of lex luger looks like when he's standing alone Mm -hmm. because the entire time that i've really enjoyed uh the portrayal of the character it's been as like sting's buddy yeah uh even during the time where i didn't always like like i said the back and forth tweener thing the stuff that he did with sting was great and even now that he's a full-fledged babyface, he's always great him and sting are like a great one-two punch mm-hmm. so it'll be i'll be really interested to see if he can carry that momentum when he doesn't have sting helping him out especially with promos because right. uh it's not just that sting knows when to jump in and save lex you can see lex in promos constantly say like two sentences and then be like tell him stinger yeah. like bail me out here buddy right i'm about i said two competent sentences and if i keep going it's going to get bad mm-hmm. and the thing is like he's been around so long you know it's it's not going to improve like right he, he's maximized what he can do for promos 
so we talked, I think, uh, best match, I think, uh, and big, biggest surprise. It's probably a good transition. Uh, let's talk best in-ring performer, because I feel like we might be simpatico on that, like we were on best match. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of getting into it when you were talking about uh, your thoughts on, on matches. Um, and in my list, I think when I gave sort of my nominees, you might have noticed that uh, Eddie Guerrero is a name that appears in there a lot. Yeah. So best ring in-ring performer, there's some great candidates. You've got Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, and Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ric Flair certainly can still go. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible at his age. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later in the episode. But uh, I had to give my best in-ring performer for 1995 uh, to 1996, Monday Nitro, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I, I would agree. Um, I I feel like that when it comes to the, like, the in-ring performance, um, there's I like there's kind of two categories uh, because Eddie Guerrero just is not in on the main event scene, whereas Ric Flair is. Re- I mean, he he doesn't get to wrestle Dean Blanco and Rey Mysterio and high quality guys like that on a week to week basis. Eddie Guerrero was facing a lot of really great opponents. That's a good point. Um, whereas Ric Flair is generally, it's like he has to drag Lex Luger along. Right. Or, um, or, yeah, or like tag with Mongo. Right. Things like that. So, I mean, I would say that Ric Flair st- to, as an in-ring performer should still get recognition as like the main event performer. Mm-hmm. Whereas Eddie Guerrero is kind of like in the mid card performer. So I would, I would personally kind of give two two awards like that. So I would go with Ric Flair and Eddie Guerrero. Now for worst in-ring performer, there's some good choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came up, these are just a few of the guys. And before we name our winners, help me out and see if there's anybody on this list you think I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say Hacksaw Jim Duggan would be a great choice. Sure. Uh, I would say hard work Bobby Walker would be an underrated choice <laughs> who gets in there and constantly is falling down the ropes when his whole thing is like big moves off the ropes. Right. Uh, I think you could make a case for Conan based on hype, I, but I don't mm. think he's actively that terrible. I think they just treat him like he's a big deal and then he comes in and sucks. Right. <laughs> uh, Loch Ness would certainly be a big one, but he was... his. A period was so short that it's almost it, it's hard to give it to him when he wasn't around very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are, there's got to be some other names I'm missing. Uh, well, <laughs> well, when I was thinking about worst in ring performer, I was trying to consider like guys that had like extensive time in the ring. Sure, because like Loch Ness, he had one or two matches. Really short matches, and there's not there's like no expectations out of him. That's true. Although I think it's fair to point out he had a long career. He was a he was a veteran by the time he came over. It's not like he was sure. a guy just off the street. Mm-hmm. Um. So. <laughs> so I considered like for example your favorite wrestler Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> yes. And my winner for worst in ring performer, especially for the fact that I had to spend so much time. Um, doing play-by-play for this guy, I give it to VK Wall Street. Ah, yes. Especially because I remember how painful it was to do the play-by-play for his match against Ric Flair that went like 15 minutes. Yeah. And it didn't really need to. And VK Wall Street for being, you know, like he's a WWF graduate, essentially. Yep. Or alum, or however you want to phrase it. He's a guy that should be a really good in-ring performer, has a reputation at least as being a good ring in ring performer, but just 
is completely incapable of like controlling a match for himself and just annoy me to no end with how much he had a tug on his singlet. That's a great choice because he is um, not somebody who makes a lot of botches, but he's just competently boring as hell. Right. He puts you to sleep, no interest in sitting there and like watching more of, you know. I mean, for example, I mean, an obvious nominee would be Lex Luger, but Lex Luger provides a lot of unintentional humor. Especially when he like when he runs to a corner and there's no one there, but he still falls over, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Or when he tries to deadlift, pick up a guy for a torture rack, but can't do it, but just doesn't give up. Yeah. He provide like, it's so bad it's funny. It's hard for me to give a award to a guy like that. Whereas VK Wall Street, it's just like, just give me something. He yeah. He, nothing, and that's why I mentioned Greg Valentine because he's been a veteran for such a long time because he he has no impactful moves. He doesn't do anything that could possibly even, like, bruise someone. I mean, that's why he lasted so long, because he has such a boring offense. Yeah. Uh, Either one is a good vote for me. I would say uh, another good choice who I forgot to mention is uh, Joe Gomez, who is just terrible. Uh, But my my choice, and I, this is tough because he's very green, and I realize maybe that's not fair, but I'm going with Mongo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I feel that even though he's green, why I feel kind of okay doing this is his first match uh, with him and Kevin Green tag teaming against Arn and Flair. Mm-hmm. He was good. And Kevin Green was like really good. Mm-hmm. And somehow, despite having like a really good, like I said, a five star in terms of the entire presentation. Right. First match. He's he's managed to regress each and every week to the point where the most recent Nitro was the worst in-ring performance he's put in yet. Right. And somehow he keeps getting worse and worse, and I don't even know how that's possible. The more ring time you get, you'd think the more you'd be learning and improving. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't strike me as someone who is not putting in the work, so I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. It might just be that he does not have the ability to be better than this. Yeah, and and I think it's also fair to nominate him as a worst in-ring performer because he has been given all the opportunity to succeed yes exactly like he gets a face like probably like when if you're listening like the 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 veterans of wsw he's regularly with or facing like one through five pretty much you know he's teaming with benoit and flair he's wrestling flair and arn anderson he gets he has like all the guys that can make him look good yet he's still like you said he's he looks worse and worse every week I mean, I know during that that last week, I I just have this idea because I just feel like he might be kind of a, a an arrogant guy. Sure. And maybe that now these wrestled a few matches, he he thinks he has it figured out. But like, yeah, it's just climbing the ropes, getting to the top turnbuckle. All these things look dangerous to him, mm-hmm. and not only to him, but to like other guys around him. He, I mean, he's around like important valuable wrestlers right that could get really hurt yeah yeah by nature of being a horseman he's gonna be in big feuds and mm-hmm. i don't know he he needs to be down there with he needs some time in there with like meng and barbarian where like they're not gonna let this dude do anything to them that's gonna be dangerous right and if he has any problems they're gonna whack him yeah or he, yeah or he or he should be facing the steiner brothers have the steiner brothers throw him around the ring Absolutely. Like Norton, Ice Train. You should be facing like 
you should face bigger guys like him, um, in which they wrestle a similar style, so he can like kind of be in his element at all times. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Mongo is definitely a good vote. I that I just go with VK Wall Street because he should know better. He should know better. He should be a better wrestler than he is, but he's not. Now I'm curious. Uh, I think I sent you when I was sending like a list of ideas for awards. One I I wanted to mention was not so much an award, but I was. Uh, before we get to kind of what I see as the biggest award, which is the MVP mm-hmm. and LVP uh, of the right. first year. Yeah. So I was wondering if there was anything, any funny moments or just favorite things, uh, experiences that you've had from doing the podcast. Maybe not Nitro focused so much, but is uh, focused on kind of our show specifically. Um, well, I mean, and I know I've mentioned this before, I have a hard time listening to my own voice. Right. Uh, and so I, I kind of have a hard time, like, trying to toot my own horn as far as like, oh, I was really funny when I said this. <laughs> right. Um, but but one of my favorite moments was was really early, especially since I went back and listened to like the very first episode. I did too. Uh, God, I hated listening. Like the audio mm-hmm. is so bad. It's so different how I took my notes. Like it's so much less mm-hmm. involved. Even reading my old notes for putting this together, I was like, wow, I used to never write anything and now I have, like, 14 pages of, like, detailed paragraphs and stuff. Right. And also, it was, like, really early on, we didn't really go off onto tangents or anything like right. that. It was yep. pretty much like, oh, that was your comment about the match? All right, let's go to the next match. Right. Um, but my favorite, like, I, so I went with, like, a really early, like, like just kind of funny moment. Um, so it would be from a third episode in which uh, we sang the American Males theme song. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think it also, not only did we play that, but I think that was like at the very end thing too. I can't remember if you are, is that still a thing that goes on? Yeah, I always put like a little joke audio drop at the end of the episode. Yeah. And that, I mean, like when I gone back to listen, I didn't really like keep them playing. So I didn't mm-hmm. hear a lot of those clips, but I also remember those like, just sitting there waiting for the next one, and I heard us singing again. <laughs> and plus, that song is just so goofy. And then oh, it's when amazing. You, and then you listen to the lyrics, and it's just like, oh, it's actually really threatening. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> uh, so a couple of my favorite moments would be uh, doing a surprising amount of research uh, to the on who came up with the name New World Order. And getting oh. Eric Bischoff to admit on his podcast, his, uh-huh. his old podcast, uh, that he must not have come up with it the way that he thought. Yeah. Where he says he came up, in his book, he says he came up with it right in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a week earlier on Nitro, Larry Zabisco, or it might have even been two weeks, Larry Zabisco uses the name New World Order. Yeah. Uh, and I tweeted at Eric, or first I tweeted the show. And Eric said, like, he couldn't really comment if he didn't see video. So then I tweeted him a video clip. And then he admitted, yeah, I guess I was wrong. Maybe Larry came up with the name and uh-huh. I overheard it. Or maybe I just misremembered when I wrote my book, whatever. Uh, so that was just, it was interesting to me to see, like, wow, well, we're doing this podcast. And we're not a huge, even in the World of Wrestling podcast, we're not a huge podcast. We've got a decent-sized audience. And I, I really yeah. love our fans and have a good time with them. And, um but it was just fascinating to me that just us doing the show could get like a revelation, like an admission that I think is mm-hmm. is sort of impactful in the world of at least just among fans of WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really fascinating to me. 
Similarly, even though this didn't really go anywhere, no one seemed to care in the world. Uh, but finding out that the too sweet hand gesture had like these dark roots in the Turkish wolves, this like oh, yeah. neo-fascist <laughs> organization out of Turkey. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I found that fascinating. And like, mm-hmm. that's what I love about our show is I think there's other shows that do things better uh, than we do with, with other aspects. Um, but one thing that I think uh, in terms of shows that I listen to, I think our research is like really, really top notch. And I really take pride in trying to like, uncover every little thing i can especially um i really thought our bash at the beach episode was really great because of that because i think we covered kind of everything we could Mm -hmm. in all the backstage happenings and everything leading up to that uh (laughs) and before i toot my own horn too much i i want to say a funny thing uh to me is that on his new podcast 83 weeks that eric bischoff is doing with conrad thompson uh one of the questions asked of him by conrad thompson was Hey, you say in your book you came up with New World Order just right on the spot before the pay-per-view. Yeah. Is that the best thing you've ever just improvised right on the spot? And Eric Bischoff's answer was, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I He's was... completely changed his story back. Right. Because you were mentioning the impact, and I was like, I remember it didn't have much impact on yeah. Bischoff because he went right back to his original <laughs> story. But I'll always know right. that he admitted it. So <laughs> right. that was pretty funny to me to hear him, like, it just... And I, like, I say this almost out of admiration. The man is just a self-promoter and a bullshitter. Mm. And it's pretty incredible to see, like, watch it in real time happen. Um. I mean, and he he has this, like, bullshit story, but he remembers his bullshit story. Right. You called him out, but that that would change that story. Mm -hmm. So then he goes back. I mean, I think there's a good chance he doesn't even remember admitting that, that mistake to you. And he just was like... Oh, no, that was the thing that I came up with myself, definitely. Uh, But another one last funny moment. I forget how we got on the joke at the time, and I don't remember what episode. I probably can't find an audio clip because I'm not going to dive through all our archives to find exactly where it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I remember you and I joking at one point about Ric Flair um, being backslid into his own coffin at his funeral. (laughs) (laughs) And I still think of that every time I see a backslide and I think of just my own death and like, that's how I want to go. I want to have, I want to have like Daniel Bryan backslide me into a casket and then the undertaker slams it shut and and lower me into the earth. And it'd be, it'd be something because it'd be your funeral, but you're being buried alive. So you're doing, you're like Flair, you're shaking your head. No, no. But, but But like Flair, I'm doing it like in an almost comically exaggerated way. Yeah. So everyone's like sad, but it's also really funny. (laughs) Yeah. You're hoping your funeral is sad, but also really funny. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that brings us to the big award of the episode, uh, our MVP and LVP. And of course, MVP is a lot more important. So let's first run through our least valuable uh, players or wrestlers or characters or whatever you want to call them. Now, they could be anybody. It could be a producer. It could be a director. It could be an announcer. It could be poor old Dave Penzer if you want. Mm. Uh, so here's kind of my – I'm gonna. well, I'm not going to read my nominees because I don't want to steal your thunder if one of these guys is your winner. Right. So I'm going to give my winner. You give your winner, and then we can talk about some other possibilities. Okay. Uh, my winner or loser <laughs> – would probably be more accurate is ed leslie uh okay this is a guy who of course we're gonna think of 
Uh, most recently is the Booty Man, mm-hmm. which was a stupid goddamn gimmick. The only reason that it ever appeared to be even a minuscule amount of over is that he was paired with Kimberly Page, right. who is just a beautiful woman who crowds are going to want to cheer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that part of it was a success. But doing the high knee as a finisher, the theme song, the the whole package of it is mm-hmm. just so terrible. The fact that he was briefly placed in almost main event spots thanks to his association with Hulk Hogan yeah. was just painful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since that goes way, way back to... I mean, God, to WrestleMania 9 with uh, the whatever him and Brutus were when they faced uh, Money Incorporated. I forget the name of the team. Mega Maniacs? I don't... I think it was the Mega Maniacs. Yeah. But anyway, just embarrassing mm-hmm. how much this no-talent idiot has been dragged to undeserved success over and over again by Hogan. Right. Uh, so, of course, where I was going with that Booty Man stuff is... That almost forgets that at the beginning of Nitro, we had to suffer weeks of him as the Zodiac, which was possibly an even worse gimmick. (laughs) With just saying yes and no and wearing stupid face paint and having dumb hair. Mm -hmm. And I hated it. I hated every minute of the Zodiac. I hated every minute of the Booty Man, except for the minutes where Kimberly Page was on my screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So fuck you, Ed Leslie. You were my (laughs) least valuable player of the first year of Nitro. Dave, who is your LVP? My LVP, I'm going to give collectively to WCW officials. <laughs> from, the very, from the very beginning, we can tell between WWF and WCW that there is a disparity when it comes to officiating. Yes. WWF officials are very good at being at the right place at the right time and making sure that they're not the standout part of the match. I remember even in one of our first episodes talking about their... Um... And I apologize to everyone for the water sounds in the background, but we're going to just plow through it. Right. Uh, it's just the plumbing in my house. Uh, the physical positioning of the refs for the pin, their stance mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Nick Patrick, like, lays on his side and his three count is very, like, the way his hand moves, it's just very lazy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, like, it's such a weird thing to even pick up on, but once you notice it, you're like... It's just, wow, you really see how that Vince McMahon attention to detail makes such a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because unless they are part of a storyline in the WWF, WWE, you don't ever have matches where you're like, oh, by the way, I want to point out what the referee did. Because that's not a good thing. WCW, I mean, Randy Anderson has a lot of terrible... uh, um, what I want to say, tendencies. Yeah. Because, like, climbing the ropes, getting in the way of action, and making... I don't think he tries to give himself attention. It's just you can't help but notice him. That's very true. Um, and it's not for the positive. So, in our, like, in this year that we've gone back and watched WCW, and I'm, like, re-watching a lot of this, I'm realizing just how terrible, like, the way that... WCW officials conduct themselves, especially in comparison to what people are used to with the WWF officials, in which they're they're rarely seen or heard unless WWF wants them to be seen or heard. So, mm-hmm. collectively, the officials get my LVP. All right. So, I'm going to just name a couple other of my nominees now. Okay. Uh, I would have also considered VK Wall Street. There you go. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Loch Ness, who is, I've mentioned a few times already, mm-hmm. and Sabu, who showed up to a moderate amount of hype, uh, 
Yeah. Had a couple of shitty matches and then just no-showed his way out of the promotion by trying to, like, double-book himself and hope that no one noticed. Right. <laughs> and ended up getting fired via the hotline. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought he would have been kind of a funny, sneaky pick. Right. Uh, were there any other people that you felt should be mentioned here? Oh, let me think. I mean, I'm trying to think of people... I mean... It's hard, for me again. It's hard to give LVPs to someone that's only shown up like once or twice. Right. You know, it's more like people are consistently like example. VK Wall Street is definitely a good nominee. Yeah. Um, Ed Leslie. That's that was that was a good one. Duggan. I just. Oh, I just. I'm so mad every time he's on the screen. Yeah. yeah. He, his character frustrates me so much. Like the taping of the fists is illegal. That's been explicitly stated. There was a specific match where the stipulation was it's allowed in this one match. Mm-hmm. And yet here, week in and week out, refs watch him tape up his fists yeah. and do nothing about it. It right. infuriates me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well here let's talk about our most valuable player. Uh, I think I've gone first on a lot of these, so Dave, I'm going to put the spotlight on you for the first year of WCW Monday Nitro. Mm-hmm. Who is your MVP. Well, again, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give two different types of awards. Okay. Um, I'll go with the traditional one first for most valuable player. Um, this is one that from the very beginning I had a sense would be like the winner of this from the beginning of doing this podcast. Right. Realizing, and that is the Nature Boy Ric Flair. I would say there's more, there have been a lot of episodes in which we did not have a lot of good highlights or things that are positive to say about, except that Ric Flair did his part well. He's always good for a crazy or or just like a really passionate promo, and he 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 tries his best to get the best out of people, no mm-hmm. matter who he's facing. Um, so him, I mean, I think that's a really easy pick for most valuable player. Um, this other tier comes comes back to something that I was thinking about when um, you had mentioned to talk about WCW in comparison to WWF and ECW. Mm-hmm. And I would say that one thing that W one thing WCW definitely has an advantage over both of them is that they have really quality tag team wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't realize how good their the tag team wrestling was at that time. Um, and so for... I just want to be clear because I might have misheard you, but I think you said WWF had good tag team wrestling. You meant WCW, right? I meant WCW. Okay. Yeah. I just want to. You might have said that, but I just want to make sure in case I wasn't wrong. Yeah, WCW. The tag team wrestling, I agree, has been excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like there should be a special consideration, and I want to give that special consideration to the Steiner brothers. Nice. Um, who, as you, as people might remember, were brought in just for like a three-month contract so they could feud with uh, the Road Warriors. Um, and then the Road Warriors disappeared. I don't remember exactly what that circumstance was. It was a pay dispute, basically. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but, but they, and I was talking to my brother, John, who, you know, he had a couple of guest appearances on here. And we both agreed that they are really high-quality tag team that can face anyone. We've seen him face what, Harlem Heat. Sting and Lex Luger, um, Fire and Ice, 
they they can have great matches with all different types, mm-hmm. or like, like the Nasty Boys even. Um, so I and not only that, but they are both quality wrestlers that can have. Uh, I mean, well, Scott Steiner more than Rick Steiner, but they can also have quality singles matches. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like that was probably one of their most invaluable pickups that they got since Nitro started. Sure. And, and I feel like that, that giving them a special consideration is just so I can highlight that by far WCW dominates those other two when it comes to tag team wrestling. And so, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to first talk about my runner-up for this award. Okay. Uh, I only gave one. I didn't cheat like you did. But <laughs> I will sort of cheat by using as an excuse to talk about my runner-up. Yeah. My runner-up is going to be the man who... Put this all into place after, uh, on a seemingly a whim, Ted Turner gave him an hour every Monday night mm-hmm. on uh, the venerated network of TNT. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be Eric Bischoff. Uh, Eric, just the work he put into figuring out what made WWF successful and what elements of that were worth keeping, but what he could do differently. Uh, and I think when you hear him kind of tell the story, and he's told it in a number of places. Uh, but when you, he gives the list of the things that WWF did that he wanted to do differently, uh, he you know the demographic he wanted to approach, the way he wanted to present his storylines, uh, the fact that he wanted it to be live, you can really go through these nitros and see, especially if you're looking over the first year and the evolution of how it went, mm-hmm. you can really see that everything that he set out to do on that list, he accomplished. Yeah. Uh, and almost all of those things are for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a real reason why uh, this show is better than Raw. If we went back over the last year, yeah. uh, and I haven't watched all the Raws as we've gone along, but I've watched a lot of them, mm-hmm. and I'm familiar with, I'm a lot more familiar with Raw than I was from Nitro just coming and going into this project. Yeah. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind, Nitro in from this project, period of september 95 to september 96 is the better show Mm -hmm. and that's largely because of eric bischoff uh now is he every step been perfect of course not they brought in some really stupid people along the way Mm -hmm. some of that's bischoff a lot of that i think is sullivan i think guys like Loch ness that feels a lot more like a sullivan choice to me than a bischoff one um so it's not that it's all been uh sunshine and roses but Certainly, I think Bischoff deserves to be in the conversation. Uh, other good choices I felt like would have been... I think Sting would have been sort of a sneaky good choice. Yeah. Um, I think you could have made an argument for Eddie as like a under-the-radar MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Heenan could have maybe been in the mix a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my MVP, of course, is Rick goddamn Flair. Right. The man's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Here's a list, and there may even be more, but here's a list of the guys I know he had Nitro matches against in the past year. Hulk Hogan, Arn Anderson, Sting, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Eddie Guerrero, Lex Luger, The Giant, VK Wall Street, Randy Savage, The Rock and Roll Express, Jim Powers, Chavo Guerrero, The Booty Man, uh, pretty much every member of the Dungeon of Doom. Yep. And probably more guys that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing list, and some of those have been not great matches, but all of them have been like at least watchable because Ric Flair can get in there with anybody. Yeah, and you can say, "Oh, Ric Flair has one match." Well, that one match works. There's a reason why he's a legend, despite having "quote unquote" only one match. 
He's just amazing. Uh, it's been such a revelation. Like, I think I mentioned on the podcast before that to me, Ric Flair uh, was always to me the old guy from the wrestling show that I didn't really like that much. Uh-huh. And I just, even when he was around in 92, and I was a kid in 92, I was uh, nine years old. So I didn't, I just didn't get Ric Flair. And I because he had that run in WWF 92. So my point is, when he was on the show I watched, I still didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back now and to this stuff, to his 92 run, his, his Royal Rumble, um, which is probably the best Rumble uh, performance by anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Ric Flair is just amazing. He's so good. Uh, I'm eager to see kind of where it goes from here. I know that we're going to have an unfortunate period where we're going to not have the nature boy for a long time. I think it's a while before we get there at least. Uh, But I'm just loving every minute of it. Every moment that Ric Flair is on my TV is a joy for me right now. Mm -hmm. There'd be no one else. So I named some other names and I think Bischoff, like I said, deserves me in the conversation, but there was no doubt in my mind when we sat down that Ric Flair was far and away my most valuable player of Nitro. And the thing that drives me maybe the most crazy, and if you read his book, you see how this is a recurring theme uh, throughout his career, is how he is the MVP, how clear that is to the fans, Mm -hmm. and yet how he is always somehow second fiddle to the guys in charge. Right. They see Hogan as a bigger star. Uh, Sting, uh, one of the things in, in Bischoff's podcast is he talks about the money everyone was making. Sting was paid the most, uh, Flair was paid less than Sting. Flair's better than Sting. I, it, if yeah. if more people are watching the show because of Sting than Flair, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's not true. Maybe it is. Maybe they did some market research, or maybe they figured that Flair going to WWF wouldn't have been as bad as Sting going to WWF. I don't know. Uh, but the fact that like they didn't realize that Ric Flair was the crowning jewel in their organization like retroactively makes me mad 30 years later yeah. or 25, whatever it's been now. Uh, so it's just, it's nuts to me how the man has never been quite appreciated by the people in charge. Yeah. And I, I know that there was uh, quite a few years in which I was not a fan of Ric Flair, especially from his WWE run. And, uh, the like first WWE run the or the second, later one? Okay. The second. Sure. The one and where, I've seen almost none of that personally. Yeah. The, the one where he mainly was just chops and low blows and things like that. Yeah. And he just, it just, I felt like dragged down his legacy quite a bit. And and I know there's more than a few episodes, especially early on, where I talked about like rediscovering the things that were great about Ric Flair yeah. during this time. And it, there is like, for, for me, like he, he's like the one guy where there's not a wasted moment in front of the camera yeah, and and it's not that's not even from like a narcissistic way, but it's a, a like a performance way. Right, he is always performing. He's always on. I know. I I feel like there was like an early moment where there was like a tag team match, um, in which like Sting was on the other side, and they had like this close up of him of Ric Flair's face, mm-hmm. and he just he he told a whole story just in his expressions, and and. Even the goofy things are in which we had weeks on end with the catering table at ringside. And he, he found a way to make that work, you know. Um, everything about Ric Flair is is about giving the best show possible. Right. And in that sense, I mean, that's what you would want out of your MVP anyways. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, for I mean, for that, to me, 
it would have been weird if one of us didn't say Ric Flair, to be honest. I mean, I like you said, I have no idea. I mean, I can't remember exactly how the next year goes. I mean, I, we, I do know that we're going to be, he's going to be gone for a little bit. I mean, when you talk about him um, being kind of lower than other guys, mm. you do realize he's still United States champion. Yep, that's true. <laughs> Which he doesn't even bother bringing out the title. <laughs> right. Because... I mean, that was another thing that I didn't realize that he felt like that was kind of like a uh, back, like a slap in the face sort right. of thing instead of uh, being like, well, at least he has a title. So, yeah, it was very clear that Hogan was like, give this to Flair to give him something to do so I don't have to worry about him with, right. you know, the real belt kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So. All right. Well, before we kind of conclude, uh, I just want to say that. Uh, I've really, really, one thing that I've enjoyed is getting to connect with the fans. Uh, I know we have a Facebook presence. We kind of don't use it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we post stuff on Facebook, but really where I, I love the fan engagement has been over on Twitter. Uh, there's too many uh, fans that are on there that I've had just a great time talking to. I don't want to name names because I don't want to have anybody left out. Right. Um, but but it's just been a lot of fun to, uh, hearing from anyone uh, it could be really like, I don't think we would keep doing the show if like we never got feedback, if you were just putting this out in the world and kind of never hearing anything back from anybody. So to anyone that's ever reached out um, on Facebook, on Twitter, over email, and just said that you've listened to the show, or on SoundCloud, uh, where we actually host the episodes, I know people have left comments there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just thank you really to anyone that listens, anyone that's reached out with a comment, even if you haven't reached out with a comment, just it means so much to us that you're listening. Uh, I know we're not the most regular in terms of getting content out there, um, but it means a lot that when we do, there are people there that clearly want to listen and like what uh, we've got to say, like hearing us talk about wrestling. Yeah, and and kind of piggybacking on the idea that, you know, we've had definitely, there's been gaps. I mean, you know, we're both adults and a lot of uh, things happen in our lives that kind of take us away from this. Since this, I mean, this is not a job. We don't make any money off of this or anything like that. This is just for the joy of uh, podcasting and talking about professional wrestling. Um, but one thing I always appreciate is the fact that uh, even when there's like time off, especially um, I had like some extended periods of time for like personal reasons I wasn't able to podcast and getting like messages on on Facebook and Twitter of people just you know wanting to make sure that like we're doing okay and that we're looking out for ourselves and everything like that I always appreciate that and you know just because I was going back and listening to older um, episodes and especially because I tend to listen on SoundCloud. I don't know what everyone else listens to, but um, even when we've had like these gaps in which we haven't recorded, but I like the idea of we have a lot of people that consistently listen to us because even when there's been gaps, we like they're on a pretty regular basis. So we're getting like, like around, like around the same amount of people mm-hmm. to me, I would rather have like, I'd rather have like 10 people that listen all the time than a hundred people listening occasionally. Sure. That's just a personal preference. I just, uh, to me, the idea that there's like a few people out there that love listening every week, or it's like, that's cause I know I've seen some messages where it's like, Oh, I've really liked, I liked having it on, on Friday to listen to that work mm-hmm. and things like that. And that, that just, you know, 
I know how it is too. I work, especially if you need something to listen to get through the day. And uh, <laughs> um, no, and just, you know, talking with other wrestling fans about wrestling is one of the things I like to do the most. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, when we, you know, when Tim talks about like reaching out to us, like you can tell we, we respond. If you talk to us, we'll respond. Even if it's just like a random thing or a negative thing. If you have anything, anything you want to mention about the show, uh, we're always all ears and we always want to uh, do what we can to make this the most enjoyable show possible. So um, I, like I said, like Tim was saying, you know, um, I do, I really appreciate uh, everyone listens to us and uh, hopefully we can, hopefully you can do what we can to see through this to the very bitter end. <laughs> all right. Well, I think you said it very well there. So I'm going to end it on that note. Uh, we will see you very soon. Uh as we head into the second year of episodes, we've got to find out what is going to happen when the NWO adds essentially WCW's uh, most powerful member, the Giant. Now that he's a part of their fold, how is that going to play mm-hmm. out over the next weeks and months? What's going to happen in that big uh, War Games match at Fall Brawl, which I'm I'm honestly very excited. I've never watched that match, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm really excited to see that. Uh, and then we're kind of we're gonna just 1997 is such a good year for wrestling. Yes, and uh, I'm so excited to start dipping our toes in the water there. There'll be so much to talk about with WCW uh, when we continue with Observe This and we talk WWF. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll of course continue to do some bonus content with WWF, maybe some ECW. Uh, maybe who knows? Maybe we'll see what New Japan stuff we can find from that. Maybe we'll try to find a AAA match or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, I really enjoy doing the bonus stuff because I think um, I look at this as, as a history project, if that makes any sense. Uh, and I think that when it comes to history, uh, context is really everything. Uh, so we will continue to do all of that, and hopefully with a little bit more regularity. I know I always promise that, and then it it's doesn't quite get the mark but we'll we'll keep on promising (laughs) but lord knows i'm gonna promise it some more uh and i am definitely gonna look into whatever is making these goddamn mics buzz because i don't know how this ended up sounding hopefully this this episode sounded all right to you guys but if not uh you will find us right back here with fixed microphones next time where the big boys play 20 years of nitro I put that giant in his place. The last thing I'll do with my immortality is beat gorgeous George up in heaven. So what's that giant?